So what is Wild Woman? She is the female soul. She is the source of the feminine. She is all that is of instinct. She is the life, death, life force. She is the incubator. She is intuition. She is far seer. She is deep listener. She is loyal heart. She is ideas, feelings, urges, and memory. She is the one who thunders after injustice. She is the things that keep us going when we think we're done for. Where does wild woman live? At the bottom of the well, in the headwaters, in the ether before time. She lives in the tear and in the ocean. She lives in the cambria of trees, which pings as it grows. She is from the future and from the beginning of time. She lives in the past and is summoned by us. She is in the present and keeps a chair at our table. She is in the future and walks backward in time to find us now. People may ask for evidence, for proof of the wild woman's existence. Each and every one of us is the evidence of not only wild woman's existence, but wild woman's condition in the collective. Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm-hmm. Come together. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to Fem South. Fem South is a podcast that's located in Southern Alabama. We are speaking up for women's rights here. Our mission is to educate women, to support women, and to empower women. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, femsouth.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, you can download us on iTunes and subscribe, leave us some feedback, rate us, love us, support us. We want to hear from you. This is the third part of our series honoring Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, Women Who Run With the Wolves. And this episode is about storytelling. It's about speaking our truths and breaking the silence, breaking the anxiety, fear, shame that sometimes revolves around our ability to fully embrace our experiences and talk about our experiences with other people. It's about collecting bones like La Loba, the bone collector. And it's, it's about really honoring and giving space so that women can talk about the very difficult experiences that we've been through so that we can transform and heal and heal the collective. And our guests today are singer-songwriter Emily Stuckey and a local book club friend and activist, Ashley Wicks. Emily is going to share the song she's written for her all-female band called The Crickets. Her song is called Red Bird. And Redbird just won the Country IMA Award for Best Alt-Country Song. So I am very excited to have her on the show, to have recorded this song just a couple weeks before she found out she won this award. It's very exciting. Um, and I'm also going to be reading one of my poems called Very Deep. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. What she even tried to tell me The only time I see her 
days in my dreams mm, It's been this way since she's been gone Words lost in translation and I wake too soon to know Maybe if I go back to sleep she'll finish what she's saying she was taken things between us are so different oh i guess that's what happens when the truth is unraveled i hope one day i'll be able to forget them time will tell and if all it spills i haven't lost a damn thing Baby, if I go back to sleep She'll finish what she's saying Were they words spoken Oh, before she was taken Maybe she'll make the scar rain down on me Maybe she's a red bird and she'll Fly right past me listen to Emily Stuckey's song Red Bird and I have her here with me in the studio right now to talk about her favorite chapter in the book chapter one the howl resurrection of the wild woman and the story that we're going to be talking about in this chapter is La Loba which translates as she-wolf before we get started though Emily I would really love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself Yes, so my name is Emily Stuckey. Um, I'm a local musician around uh, the Fairhope area, and really the Gulf Coast these days. Um, I, uh, I've been singing for pretty much as far as I can remember, and uh, I didn't start uh, singing out up until uh, about seven years ago. So um, through the years, I've been kind of learning as I go. I'm self-taught, and um, this uh, song that I just did, Redbird, um, is off of um, off of an album that my band and I called The Crickets. We're all female band. We just put out a few months back. So I've been uh, through the years. I've been uh, collecting little pieces and parts of me, and that's why I relate to this story so much because um, it's very uh, relatable to my work now. 
Yeah, I think this story is perfect for you as a singer, as a songwriter, as a woman in an all-woman's band. Can you talk a little bit about that, your connection with this story? Yeah, so um, in the story, Laloba uh, goes out into the desert and uh, collects bones and then sings over them. Um, And uh, I feel like I do that. Uh, I'm doing that every time I go out and sing. I'm collecting pieces and parts of me and uh, things that I don't know about myself and putting them all together. And especially in my writing, um, it depends on where I'm performing. If I am uh, letting other people hear these things that I'm putting together, but but yeah, I relate to that so much uh, because I feel like I'm constantly uh, finding little pieces of myself and putting them together, <laughs> like the she wolf. <laughs> so La Loba, the story is actually a really old story. One of the most well-known archetypes is the old woman who's gathering bones. In this particular story, she's gathering bones uh, and she's collecting them and kind of storing them in her cave. And then she begins to sing to them. And as she sings to the bones, they come to life. They start to form into the she-wolf. And then the she-wolf becomes her own wild woman and runs, you know, runs around free. And it's interesting then, and you're a songwriter and you're saying you're collecting all of these pieces of yourself. Can you talk about that process of writing songs like and channeling like what Clarissa is saying, this like instinctual self that many women actually have forgotten, but maybe you're a little bit more tuned with because you have this, this format for expression. Yeah, so it has taken me a long time to figure out that that's singing and writing my story is really what I needed to do in my life. I was missing that for so long. I feel like growing up, I went through a lot as a child, and I kind of put uh, my story on the back burner because it made me... uh, feel like I was inferior to other kids and other people in my community and my surroundings. But as I started uh, singing and, and writing, it just kind of sort of happened too. It was like it, it, it came out of me. I, I was just kind of taken over by this inner feeling that I needed to get my stories out. And not just for people, but for myself to, uh, to move forward in my life. So anyway, my bones, uh, these are pieces of my story that I forgot about that I put far away and I'm kind of sort of gradually going and collecting them and putting them together and writing what I went through in my story. And um, I'm doing that all the time. And sometimes I don't even realize I'm, I'm doing it. And, and I, uh, my songs are so deep and... Uh, I actually have to go back and like study what, why, why this came out of me and where this is coming from in a lot of my songs. So it's that's interesting. Yeah, it's neat. It really forces you to think about some of your your traumas, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's been very healing for me because I uh, I've always kind of just swallowed down things and not dealt with the with stuff that I went through, trauma I went through as a kid. So this is a very healing thing for me. And then other people kind of recognize that in the lyrics of my songs that have been through a similar thing. They can relate to it. And that's been really, really awesome. It, it makes me feel good. So I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm healing. Yeah, you're healing yourself and you're healing others. That's a wonderful thing. How old were you when you started writing songs and, and, and singing actually out in public? Well, um, let's see. I, uh, I dabbled with the church choir growing up. And um, we went to this big church. And it was a, um, I tried out to sing because I enjoyed singing. And I tried out for this solo part. 
Well, I didn't get it because it was more of a political thing in that church. So the girl that that got the solo, her parents were kind of higher up in the church, I guess you could say, or more involved or more donated more, whatever that was. But anyway, she got the part and it kind of just, it killed my spirits to do. I think I was like eight or nine at the time. And I thought, well, I I really don't want to do this again because it was so nerve-wracking to get up in front of all those people and sing this part at that age and then to be turned down. I thought, oh God, this that was so scary. I don't want to do it again. So anyway, I, qu- I quit singing out for a long time. But then um, when I hit uh, about 13, I just, it started coming back again. Like I, I uh, wrote this little song. It was a goofy little song and uh, sometimes I still sing it in my head. But it started coming back then, and I kind of, I, I remember thinking, God, I want to sing, I want to, I want to learn instruments, and this and that, and then when it would come down to me going and actually taking lessons and, and doing it, I was too afraid, I was too scared to do it then, so I put it off. Well then, um, I think I was about 19, I found some really beautiful words that my grandfather, um, he passed away, but he had written to my grandmother many, many years ago. I found it in an old book. I love to go through uh, their old books. They had this huge bookcase in their living room, and uh, he would just leave like pressed flowers and books for her and just notes and stuff like that, and I found this beautiful note written to her, and it said um, he traveled a lot for work, and it said, I want to go back to Alabama. I want to lay underneath a pine tree. And then I was like, yes. It clicked. I was like, I'm I'm going to use that in a song someday. And I didn't play out. I didn't sing out yet. And I didn't play any instruments. Then on down the road, I think I was like 22 or 23. I went to this house party and a, a musician friend of mine was playing there and my friends were like she can sing you should get her up to sing with you and I'd had enough liquid courage that I got up there and sang with them and uh I don't even think I sang anything I think I just like welled (laughs) like did all these like crazy runs that I'd been holding back for so long it just kind of came out that night and then after that I started realizing that was a huge part of me that was missing that I needed, I needed to do, and I need to sing out to people because it makes me feel complete and whole again. A few more years passed, and um, I ran into more musician friends and started singing with them, and then put more words to that to that song that I wanted to start when I was nineteen from the letter my grandfather had written to my grandmother. And then I picked up a guitar and started learning, self-taught, learning learning to play guitar and, uh, and sing with it. And then now, here I am singing out, and I've put three albums out, one solo and two with my band. So that's kind of my story. And I love how you say, and it's, I think it really echoes this story beautifully, that you needed to do that in order to feel complete. Mm-hmm. That's what this story is really about is completion of the self. And that reminds me of the word that Clarissa uses, which I really love, and that is soulful reclamation, right? Reclaiming the soul. You did that through allowing yourself to tell your story, to do the thing that brings you so much joy and fulfillment through singing. Yes. That's so powerful. And I think a lot of women don't allow themselves to do that and they feel dead inside, incomplete, out of tune with that deeper inner self, that need. I think most people in general, both men and women, need to do something creative. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't allow themselves to do it or maybe they don't even see the creativity and the things that they're already doing. But Clarissa says specifically for women, dancing, singing, writing poetry, writing, meditating, all these things that really feed the soul are really important. Yeah, 
Definitely. And I've always had, it's so funny, like she also talked about, you know, making stuff with your hands and like sewing and doing all these things. And I've always felt a strong urge to create, you know, like you were saying, we feel dead inside, you know, we go through periods of that. And I remember feeling like that and like having to do something or I could not get through the day. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that all the time. Do you? Yes. I mean, I just... I have cycles. I definitely have peaks, but I most almost every day feel like I need to do something creative and it is an impulse in me that I sometimes don't allow myself to just let be and rest when I need to rest. But um yeah, I'm, I'm always so trying much to do like something. that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you then when you're singing, well when you're writing your songs, you're channeling all of your emotions and you're channeling all of these experiences that you've had. But then you get up on stage. Then you have to present this to an audience. What do you do to prepare for that? How do you channel that and then and then allow that to come through for your audience? Honestly, I don't do anything to prepare. I just kind of let it come out as it comes. And, um, and most of the time I'm hoping that it comes out in a way that it's supposed to in that setting. So I kind of just let it, let it lie, let it be, let it be what it's going to be. Cause usually I have no control over what is going to come out. And sometimes the song is performed differently than I recorded it, It, you know? Um, So yeah, I I never know what's going to happen. So you try to just let it come out. Do you ever find that you censor yourself? Most definitely. Because here again, I'm I'm still learning that it's okay for me to express myself, uh, to express uh, pain, um, that it's not embarrassing what I've been through in my life, that people um, want to hear it. But sometimes I am afraid to, to, to go there with people. Or, oh, God, what are they going to think of me? Uh, that I've gone through this or, or, or gosh, they're going to think bad of me and not want to come back to my shows. Like there's always a fear of that. And I wonder if that's even more difficult in our area because people aren't talking about their experience as much here. You know, people are seemingly afraid of experience and processing these deeper emotions, right? And you're doing that so raw Mm -hmm. and you're putting yourself out there in front of people. Hopefully they're receiving it and, and, and connecting with you. But we were talking earlier about you being at a show where nobody was really listening and nobody was connecting. And so that has to be really challenging. Yeah, that's, that is very tough. I'm re- I'm a really good feeler of people. I always have been, uh, even as a small child. Just being able to be in a room and uh, kind of feeling if if the people in the room are in a they want to have an experience, they want to hear things, or they want to hear beautiful things, or they want to hear real things, or they want to hear like upbeat, or they want to just whatever their feelings are, I'm pretty good at, um, at feeling them out. But sometimes, and last night is a good example, sometimes I cannot connect with them in any way. I can't win them over. And that's defeating. It's really defeating for me. But I've also learned that it's okay if I can't do that, that maybe for whatever reason, they don't they don't want to connect because they're on this road and I'm on this road and it's today is not the day for them. That's nice that you allow yourself that and allow the audience that too. Yeah, it's taken some time. La Loba specializes in the collecting and preserving that which is in danger of being lost to the world. Do you as a songwriter and a, and a, and a musician feel like you're part of something larger than yourself? Do you feel like your music is a preservation of something like within yourself and then outside of yourself? I mean, how do you see yourself in that metaphor? 
Yeah, I feel like it's definitely uh, a preservation of myself and my craft. Like I said, you know, I try and feel people out how they are feeling, what they kind of would want to hear, their mood and my mood, because I feel like, you know, when you're kind of on that same wave there, just all this like crazy energy happens, like you connect because they're feeling this way and uh, you're finding something that can connect with them. And I feel like that is something, you know, we are losing a lot of the connection especially in my kind of music, because mine is more, my music is more folk type music, kind of country too, in a sense that I like to tell stories, uh, you know, especially of nature. Uh, I relate to a lot of nature and I feel like people lose sight of that, you know, like um, one of my songs talks about taking a walk to the river and barefoot and stepping into the mud and having that feeling of your feet um, just engulfed in this beautiful earth. So I like to talk about that and reintroduce people to that, to go back and take that walk and because it, it, it connects us back to things that we should be connected to, I feel like. And when I do that, I see people light up a lot in the audience and, uh, God, that feels good. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on to our show, sharing the song, the beautiful song that you wrote, and talking with us about your favorite, your favorite chapter in this book. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I think it's time to take a quick break. You're listening to Fem South. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Visit us on themsouth.com. We'll be right back. Buried Deep, a poem by Lee Bancroft. In bed, reading, you and I skim through photographs in an old magazine. An iconic picture of Marilyn Monroe lying on a bed stands out and I stare at her intently. How curious is the presentation of female beauty? It's like looking at diamonds in a storefront window. You say, she's not as beautiful as you. Maybe you mean it, or maybe you don't. Maybe it's just something to be said in a time like this, and I smile, not because I feel gratitude or comfort from your words, but because I know what you don't. I know how beauty is really created. Attending to the figure in the mirror, I watched my mother build it into a thick mask. And then after the night was through, I watched the colored ink pool under her eyes like old newspaper. We shape bodies and faces to house our vanity. Even those of us who stray from contradictions are still contrived and copied from countless photographs like this one. You caress my cheek on the pillow next to your own. You say I'm beautiful, and perhaps, my love, you think that I am. But what is a face in this moment? I stare at Marilyn's face in the photo and think, but she was depressed and took her own life. Perhaps the Divine Mother tried to take her life, too. She was, after all, fashioned from his perfection. Diamonds, too, are taken from their origin, polished and reshaped and placed behind a glass wall in idealized beauty. Even when I look into your eyes, I see a distorted image of myself that I cannot access. Like Marilyn's, my beauty is buried deep. It lives in the mysterious internal as an infant in the womb. Like my heart, it is an organ in perpetual night. It flows with my brain waves, traveling paths unseen by the human eye. As you and I converse, our voices join trails of stardust, dying light that burst through millions of years of non-existence before we were even born. I imagine they carry with them a beauty that is old and true and felt without reflection. A treasure cave of workings, unbroken and unseen. 
a beauty that is buried deep. So now I'm here with my friend Ashley. Hello. Ashley is another member of our book club, and we are going to be talking about her favorite chapter, which is chapter 13, Battle Scars, Membership in the Scar Clan. This chapter is premised on the story, The Woman with the Hair of Gold. And it's a very short story. It's basically about a beautiful woman that had long golden hair. And there was a, and she was poor, and she didn't have a mother or a father, and she lived in the woods alone. And then, of course, a man wanted to come and marry her. And she gave him the gift of her golden hair, which in the story is a gift of spiritual gold, not monetary gold. And when he realized, of course, that there was her hair was valueless in terms of monetary gain, he came and was enraged and kills her and buries her. Well, of course, she's a woman who lives in the woods without a mother or father, so nobody knows that she's dead or she's been killed. Mm-hmm. And so this violent murder that he's done is is unknown until her hair continues to grow as she's after she's been buried, even in her grave. It continues to grow and blossom. And then the the shepherds cut these curly reels and turn them into flutes. And when they play their flutes, her story is told. And then the townspeople discover that she's been murdered. And, and so her story's told. And then finally, I guess there's vengeance because the townspeople know. Mm-hmm. But she's dead. Anyway, so that's the story that this chapter is based on. So, Ashley, given the story, given Pinkola's then explanation of that story and her talk about shame, how then do you, how did this story really speak to your experience? Because you've talked a lot about shame in our book club discussions, and I, I really relate to and feel you when you do talk about that and share your experience. Can you share that with our listeners? Um, at the time that I started reading this particular chapter, I was going through a divorce, ending a very psychologically abusive relationship I'd been in for seven years. Uh, Most of that was in the secret, and no one knew. So over the last year and a half, the shame that I was feeling from what I was experiencing was just growing and growing in the dark, Uh, much, much like her hair after she was murdered, you know, and finally had to speak about it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what it's like, I mean, seven years is a really long time. And she talks about endurance. And of course, this chapter leads into the next story about the handless maiden, who's which is all about endurance. But enduring that for seven years, psychological abuse too, not just violent abuse, but psychological abuse, which is really difficult to share with people because it's something that I think we still can't really fully talk about. But going through that for seven years, experiencing that alone, can you talk a little bit more about that? And then why also now you feel so motivated to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was very difficult for seven years and it wasn't constant. And I think that's what kept me in it. Um, there were a lot of extreme highs and extreme lows. I almost got away a couple of times, but there was always some sort of trauma bond Um Keeping, keeping us connected. And then I guess two years ago, I made the decision to marry this person, even knowing all the red flags. After we were married, the, the abuse came out even more, you know, and you start thinking you're crazy. Um, the gaslighting, so many, so many things to make you doubt yourself and doubt your abilities and keeping the secret about the times when they blow up or do the gaslighting because you don't want anybody to, um, well, you just feel ashamed. I don't know. You don't want anybody to think that you're going through these things, especially when everyone knows you as someone who's very tough and confident and strong. And, uh, and then you're like, this whole part of me is not that. And I'm going through this. And um, the shame really makes you do uh, self-isolation which is one of the main goals of your abuser, like a narcissist, is to isolate you. And they end up getting you to do it yourself by the shame that you feel, you know, from what you're putting up with. And um, once it finally became too much for me to bear and 
I spoke out to someone I could trust. You know, it's really, it's one thing to speak out and not be heard and, and um, understood, but it's another thing to be able to speak out and be validated and understood. Um, because I think if you speak out and it's not met with that, you're, it's not going to do any good. You know, so you have to really be careful who you choose to talk to. I was lucky enough that I, I finally reached out. I have a good group of, of female friends down here, and I reached out, and they immediately, everyone immediately understood and just were like, how can we help? The more people I told, the easier it was and the stronger I got every time until I was like, this is not right. This is not right. I have to leave now, yesterday. I'd also recently read another book by Brene Brown, uh, Men, Women, and Worthiness. And she speaks a lot on shame in there. And something she said about shame growing in the dark just really, really stuck with me really hard. Um, and during the last year of reading all these different books and you know, my partner at the time telling me, when we were fighting that I was reading all the wrong books and I needed to learn how to be a good woman. And I'm like, now I'm like, he was just scared because I was reading all the right books, you know, to, to gain strength and courage to find myself back, to dig, dig those bones back up. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Psychological abuse like that too is especially challenging because you doubt it makes you doubt yourself even more mm -hmm. a physical slap across the face is definitely abuse you know how to label that and it's visible and it's visible and you can go tell somebody hey he physically hit me and the law enforcement maybe or maybe not but will likely step in but psychological abuse is so different and so much more mm -hmm. challenging for women a to recognize that that's what it is because there's all this manipulation going on to slowly and subtly bring the person down mm -hmm. and make them doubt themselves. And like even what Clarissa Pinkola talks a lot about in this book is intuition, you know, mm -hmm. make it really is damaging to a woman's intuition to go through psychological abuse. So what was it like for you when you decided a that this is abuse. I mean, was it a sudden, okay, I am being abused. Let me reach out to my female friends. Or was it, let me reach out to my female friends and they reflected the abuse back and validated the abuse. It was a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Um, I'd been in this relationship for quite a while. I had seen the red flags and then I saw the box and then I took it home and decorated with it. Basically, you know, the box of red flags. So I'd kind of known, I'd kind of shared a little bit with some friends. They tried to be very supportive of, of our relationship um, and be like, well, maybe it's not that bad. And then some my best friend, who I'd finally stopped talking to about it because it was just coming between us because she was getting so upset, you know, that I was being hurt. I was met with nothing but support. I knew it was abuse. I just needed that confirmation that I wasn't crazy. They, they all just supported and they were like, no, this is not right. This is not right. You, you don't have to defend yourself to me. You don't have to explain because a lot of times I still find myself overly explaining what I'm doing and why or why I didn't do something. And my friends are like, you, you, you don't owe me an explanation. Like, you don't have to defend yourself. Like, you're cool. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I think that just goes to show how important it is to have a really supportive group of female friends that are willing to listen to you. And it's interesting, a lot of us have like that one best friend that we can tell these kinds of things to. But yeah, there's a weight that we always seem to throw on that best friend that they can't really contain or something. Mm -hmm. And they get tired because they care for us. And they want to, to see us change. But seven years obviously yeah. it takes a while it's, it's, it's hard to watch your best friend self-destruct and disappear absolutely you so, know without having to self-preserve you and your family you know yeah and so finding sometimes finding another group of friends even beyond that one best friend mm -hmm. is really important to do because the more females that can validate and reflect back on us the I think the stronger that we can be and the more that we can really understand our circumstances better. Absolutely. See clearly. Yeah. 
I wanted to read a passage that I really liked about this isolation and these keeping secrets because enduring that for so long and enduring any kind of abuse, whether it be physical or or, um, psychological, keeping secrets, she writes, the secret always finds its way out, if not in direct words, then somatically, and most often not in a way that it can be dealt with and helped in a straightforward manner. So what does the woman do when she finds the secret leaking out? She runs after it with great expenditure of energy. She beats bundles and burrows it back down into the dead zone again and calls her inner guardians and ego defenders to build more doors, more walls. The woman leans against her latest psychic tomb, sweating blood and breathing like a locomotive. A woman who carries a secret is an exhausted woman. I love that. You just gave me some chills. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. I love that passage because you cannot contain the secret. You think you're containing the secret, but you're not. It slowly leaks and poisons everything around you yeah. until you just open it up and let it flood out. Yeah. And so wouldn't it be so much better if we could get collectively stronger mm-hmm. and start telling our stories much earlier? So that that leaking doesn't happen. So that secretive, quiet isolation doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that that's really challenging, but that is the shift that needs to happen. And we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Like one of the reasons why I think women are afraid to tell their stories, especially if they are victims of abuse, is that they're afraid to be labeled victims because we have this cultural... um, We have this cultural disdain for Mm. victimization and victimhood. So we don't, we don't want people to be stuck in their negative stories. And so, I mean, I hear this all the time from women trying to avoid being victims, but that isn't healthy. Right. And how can a woman then really fully tell her story? And we talked about this as well. I mean, telling the story once isn't always enough either. Not only do you have to find the right person who will listen and validate, and that might be a multiple people, you might need several voices of validation in order to really gain the strength that you need to get out of the situation. But also you might need to continue to tell your story over and over again before Mm -hmm. you can heal. How can you heal if you can't tell your story? Even if you're out of the situation and you're no longer isolated, there's still a sense of isolation from keeping that story inside and not telling people. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, when I finally found the courage to tell my story and it helped me so much, like you said, to get validation from multiple friends. And then, and then I shared with my dad and wow. that, that was, that was big. And, um, and now that I'm out of the situation, I continue to share and use my voice because I'd lost it for so long and was hiding for so long from what was going on. And there's so many people out there in that same situation who haven't found their voice or have even more circumstances of why they're trapped. And if they can hear me and gain some strength in their voice or or be validated in their experience, then that's that's what I need to keep doing, you know, to give um, more people power, not just females, but uh, males as well. I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me privately when I have shared, uh, like on social media, about my story. Recently, a sixty-something-year-old man came up to me and thanked me. We vaguely knew each other. Um, he said no one in his friend circle understood. You know, they had never been through it, or they just are totally cut off. You know, not as enlightened, a narcissist situation like mine, and um, he thanked me for for a post I made because it validated everything he'd been through. And uh, he knew that he wasn't crazy and he just didn't have anybody in his age group and circle of friends to talk to, you know? So that was really, that was big for, for me to have a male, an older male from that generation. uh, Thank me for sharing my story. You know, it was, it was big. You, once you start telling other people get brave too. Yes. That's so important. It only takes one person. And then once we all collectively start gaining the confidence to speak up. Yeah. I want to read from another excerpt from this, uh, from this chapter where she talks about how it's important not only to heal for yourself, to tell your story, to heal yourself, your own personal wounds, but also to heal the wounds of the larger group in which this might be 
a result of a larger system of oppression. Mm -hmm. In this case, I think it's absolutely important for women to tell their stories because we are a part of a larger system of violence against us, emotional manipulation and oppression. So Pinkola writes, the keeping of secrets cuts a woman off from those who would give her love and protection. It causes her to carry the burden of grief and fear all by herself. And sometimes for an entire group, whether family or culture, keeping secrets cuts us off from the unconscious. Where there is a shaming secret, there is always a dead zone in the woman's psyche. So I think that that's really important again, because it isn't just about telling our own stories and healing, although that's incredibly important. But even as they mentioned family, we definitely don't want to pass on generational trauma to our own kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we all, and then we have the responsibility of the collective. Yeah, absolutely. I, one thing, right before I was brave enough to use my voice and get out of my relationship, I, there was seven days straight of abuse. Seven days straight. And seven's been a really big theme over this whole thing and even the handless maiden story there's seven she was seven years I had I was doing a market and I was selling at one of the markets and was being text all this crazy stuff while I was there and was completely fight or flight body just shutting down cold like freaking out because all this continued psychological abuse so I get home that afternoon to make supper you know, he's like, what are you bringing home? What are you fixing? And then he's criticizing what I'm doing, telling me how to do it, which wasn't usual because I'm a good cook and that's never been an issue before. This particular day, he started going on and on and on. And I visualized myself stabbing him with the knife I was using. And in my head, I said, I effing hate you. And so this is um, the collective built up trauma. My grandmother was abused by my grandfather, right? I've never seen it, but I've heard about it my whole life. And in that moment, I said, I will not be my grandmother. Wow. So that that had a big part in it. And then my niece that I raised was also in a relationship that wasn't great. And I was giving her advice. And I was like, who am I to give her all this advice? I'm not taking for myself. I got to lead by example. And so th- those two things really helped me. I was like, I'm not going to live, I'm not going to be 80 years old cussing the person that I married, wanting to murder them, or maybe even going that far and killing us both, <laughs> you know, 50 years down the road, you know, when I'm yeah. so <laughs> crazy, uh, rightfully so. Um, anyway, so that, that was speaking on the collective uh, trauma, inherited trauma and passing it down and you know, cycle breaking, you know, I've been very adamant about breaking cycles in my life. And this was one I hadn't thought about before that needed breaking. And so I'm working on that with the next generation. Yeah. Okay. So I'd like to read a part, a passage out of this book. Uh, This passage that I want to read is about the work of crying out which was really, really big for me when I read it. I read this story three days after I left my relationship. While some secrets are strengthening, for instance, those used as a part of a strategy in order to gain a competitive goal or those happy ones kept just for the pleasure of savoring them, the secrets of shame are very different, as different as the berry-boned metal versus the bloody knife. The latter must be brought up, witnessed by a compassionate human under generous conditions. When a woman keeps a shameful secret, it is horrifying to see the enormous amounts of self-blame and self-torture she endures. All the blame and torture that were promised to descend upon the woman if she tells the secret does so anyway, even though she has told no one. It all attacks her from within. And then it goes on to say, The wildish woman cannot live with this. Shameful secrets cause a person to become haunted. She cannot sleep, for a shaming secret is like a cruel barbed wire that catches her across the gut as she tries to run free. The secrets of shame are destructive. 
not only to a woman's mental health, but to her relationships with the extinctive nature. Wild woman digs things up, throws them into the air, chases them around. She does not bury and forget. If she buries it all, she remembers what and where, and it will not be long before she has disinterred it again. Yeah, that's a good one. I love that. This whole book was really amazing. And um, I'd actually, can I share like when I got it? Yeah. Okay. So in my relationship, I knew there were red flags and I agreed to marry anyway and give it my all. I bought this book to read on my honeymoon. Oh, (laughs) wow. I bought this and The Hidden Spirituality of Men for him to read. I thought we could do some spiritual journeying together. I Let me got, guess, he did not read his book. No, he, he didn't read his book. He he drank a lot. Um, and I mean, I did too. But I was on the beach one day by myself. I started the book. I got through Bluebeard. And I was in tears. And I was like, what the fuck have I done? I can't read this on this trip. Oh my God, what have I done? I have married Bluebeard in real life. This book is going to be really hard. And it took me from April to October to read it in small increments. And every time I did, it was on point to either something in my life or my mom's life, uh, who at the time was in a a program recovering drug addict. Um, It's a very interesting book. Opened up a big can of worms in my world. And then I finished it up after after I left him with the last two stories. With the work of crying out and getting out. Wow. This has been a very important book for you in this chapter in your life. So important. So thank you, Ashley. I am very grateful that you joined in on this podcast episode and talked about your personal experiences. And I hope that you continue to talk openly about them because I know, speaking for myself, that I feel tremendous uh power and inspiration from you and from listening to your story thank you thanks for having me yeah it's fun yeah so thank you for joining us you've been listening to fem south fem south is a podcast dedicated to educating women supporting women and empowering women and if you would like to know more about what we're doing you can visit our website www.femsouth.com You can subscribe to our newsletter on our website and get up to date on our current episodes, our blog posts, our book reviews, and any events that we're hosting in the local area. We also ask that you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or any place where you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating. Give us some feedback. Be engaged with our content. The more you do, the more we get out there in the world and the more we can continue our mission to support women. Thank you for listening. You're on Fem 